Welcome back to American Billiard Radio. Today is Thursday, October 22nd, and we've got a slightly different format to this episode. Something I've been tossing around in my mind, and I finally decided to give it a shot. The difference is, usually I quickly sum up uh, stories from the past week or so, and, and this is something that Dave, Mr. Bond, used to do. So that's that was his thing, and because he felt strongly about that, I continue to try to do it at the beginning of the episode. It's not really my gig, but that's that was something he did. So what we're going to do a little different, what I'm going to do a little different in this episode, is I'm going to focus on a couple stories and give you some sound bites from people regarding those stories. And then we will get into the one big interview that I usually do. So the main interview for this show is Team USA Captain Jeremy Jones. And we will get to that. Uh, But first, bring everybody up to speed on the news. If you're not an avid viewer of AZ Billiards, why wouldn't you be? The Poison VG 10-ball competition that we talked about last episode with Nate, that finished up. Uh, Albin Ushan defeated Tyler Steyer in the finals. Um, I talked to Nate, and I don't have a soundbite from him, but I'm going to. Uh, he said that he wanted to talk about the event after he'd had a chance to to finish it all up and, and get his, his mind together. Uh, so that will most likely be next episode. It's nice to see some of the the big events that we've gotten so used to in the Midwest coming back. Um, all of them kind of disappeared due to COVID. We had the Aramith Simonis Pro Classic took place at Racks on the Rocks in West Peoria. That was $7,500 added, and that was across a, an open 10-ball event and an open one-pocket event. Uh, Both of those events were won by Alex Pagulayan, and he defeated Dennis Orcoyo both times in the finals. We have another one of those marquee Midwestern events coming up with the 47th annual Texas Open. That'll be October 28th to November 1st at Skinny Bob's in Round Rock. The players list for that has been floating around online for a couple of days. Uh, The biggest thing on that list is every member of Team USA will be there. Uh, Ray over at Pool Action TV will be streaming that, so make sure you get over there to watch that event. We had a, a big event, uh, a big streamed event, over the last week with Tyler Steyer and Jesus Atencio. They were playing 10-ball at Roy's Basement. Uh, Jesus was given the 9-ball, so... For the one or two people who don't understand that spot, um, Jesus could win by making the 9 or the 10. Tyler had to make the 10. Um, It was a great match. I watched part of it online. I spoke to Roy over at Roy's Basement about the match, and the first thing that he mentioned was that Tyler really impressed him. So listen to what he had to say about Tyler. I know a lot of folks were like kind of like they want to be Tyler fans, you know, but kind of like, I don't know, he's got this ego, you know, he's too much, you know, he wants everything his ways. But you know what? As soon as he came here in Roy's basement, he opened up to me 
And then he, we, we made him feel right at home, him and Hunter Lombardi. They didn't want to leave the place anymore, the basement. They said, this is a dream place for anybody who's taking pool seriously. Because I showed him the gym that we have where we uh, train, you know, for cardio and all that, which you do need for long sessions of pool playing. And he's like, man, I want to live here. And with that in mind, Roy said that he was also extremely impressed with Jesus. He wasn't as familiar with Jesus's game, uh, but he, he described how he saw Jesus and then went on to describe the match itself. And Jesus showed me something. He came back. I mean, this guy, I'm talking about ice veins, you know? I mean, nothing. You can't get nothing out of him while he's sitting down. He's so focused on the table like he wants to get up and shoot again. And so he, he's a warrior. Uh, at this young age, I think he just turned 21 or 22. With Tyler, even though the first day, Tyler was up 12 points at one time. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, we're gonna, this is where we're going to see if Jesus can come back for this. Down 12 points on the first day, going to 100. So he slowly, you know, he slowly got his game back. He, I mean, he's... He was calm, you know, not panicking and all that. So that was a plus on the first day. And he cut the lead down to end the day one from 12 to 6 points. So I'm like, hmm, you showed me something again. Okay, now on day two, big turnaround. Jesus took over. He just took over the day two. So to end the day two with a score of him being up now 10 points. On the third day, him being up 10, the first day, they were given uh, over-under on Jesus to end the first day. The over-under on the first day was 10 for Jesus. 10. And, uh, and I think it was 33, if I'm 33-27, uh, I think that was the score to end the day one. So 10. So, okay, those, those guys were like, 10, that's the over-under, you know, 12, you know. So now, on the day two, the chat box switched around. None of the Tyler fans were there anymore, you know? It's uh, it's all Jesus fans at the end of day two. Like, oh, Tyler is so, you know? So to start the day three, it's all Jesus fans. Not so many, because it's not known, came along the chat box and saying, oh, yeah, his, Tyler is done. This kid is done. Guess what? For a young age two, Tyler, he showed me something here again. He's so focused, Mike. I can't believe it between these two. I mean, I, I couldn't believe it. This is probably one of the greatest match I've ever done in terms of what they put in, the content, you know? I mean, it's all heart, you know? They're so focused, you know, uh, for the match. And and it's like two gladiators in the arena that they just want to chop their, uh, each other's heads off. And after the match, they shake hands. They eat the same food from the basement, you know, they joke around and all. They're both uh, uh, sponsored by Predators, you know, but on the table, I mean, they're fearless. They're warriors, you know, and I'm like, oh, I like what I'm saying here. I want some more of this. So on the day three, another thing happened. Jesus being up 10, I saw him just sitting down on his chair for about eight games, Mike. And Tyler putting on what he could do on the table. 
that's why you've been seeing him a lot on this virtual pool tournaments, you know, where he's playing the ghosts or whatever. That's why you've been seeing him a lot getting in the finals, you know, training, paying off, you know, now being down 10 points on the third day, which is the finale of the uh, match. Now he's up one point at 72, 71. So I'm like, unbelievable this match is something else and i think he got up as much as uh 75 71 four points you know on the third day and then and then back and forth swings back and forth i take the lead no you take the lead i take the lead back you know back and forth so the match could have gone either way at the end even at the end when the score was 97 92 jesus and he stopped shooting, and it's Tyler's turn. So when uh, when it's Tyler's turn at 97-92, being down five points, he looked at the score right next to me, and he, he, he in, in his soft voice, he said, Roy, watch the eight-pack. Because I just done it recently on a Facebook Live doing the ghost. Watch the eight-pack. It could happen again. I was like, oh, my God. I mean, this is something else. I like this. I love this match, you know? I mean, this is probably the best match I've ever done in the basement, you know? I mean, it's not about superstars, the top rows, you know, playing. It's it's what they give to the game at that moment, you know? I mean, they give 120% to the game, you know? It's all about, I got to win. I got to win, you know? And they respect each other, you know, they just let their games out there and, hey, so be it. Let's see who's a better guy right now, you know. And he did, he did ran three packs, okay, to make the score 97, 95, okay. When when he broke, the Cubo got smacked around and ended up on the side pocket. I was focusing the camera on Jesus. He's sitting down thinking, Am I going to be getting up again and get to shoot again? You know, he's got this looks like, I might not, it's, it's amazing. I might not be able to shoot again. He could finish me off from here when the score was 97, 95. He could finish me off here. I might not be able to get back to the table. And on the other hand, he also had this look like I could see him changing his body language while sitting down like, like like grabbing his uh his little towel there and then cleaning his cue like oh I can't wait to get up I'll finish him off give me a chance to get up and shoot again so that's that's the body language you know grabbing his cue and I was like well why are you grabbing your cue you're sitting down and he's shooting you know there's no way you know you're gonna shoot now you know but he's getting ready that means he's giving you a sign he's getting ready I can't wait to shoot again at this moment I looked at Tyler's face was like. Uh-uh, you ain't shooting again while he was on the table. This is it. This is it. I'm going to, I'm, that's it. It's going to be 192. It's probably going to be the greatest money game in rotation finish. You know, that's how close that match. But, okay, so 97-95, Tyler broke, scratch on the side, and that was it, Mike. That's how close that match was. And when I talked to Roy about what he's got coming up, which 
what is amusing is when we talked, he didn't mention that he was working on a rematch between Tyler and Jesus. That was announced after he and I spoke. But again, while we spoke, we talked briefly about what he has coming up and what he wants to focus on. Right now, to tell you the truth, with this uh, match that we just did with Jesus and Tyler, we're in good hands in the future. If, if there will be more players like young players like this, I think we're in good hands for the for the future of pool. You know, I mean, they just handle themselves. You know, like professional, everything the way you wanted a player would be. They that's how they express themselves. And just so that you can mark it on your calendar, the rematch between Tyler and Jesus is scheduled for November 13th through the 15th. Interestingly enough, the Oscar Dominguez Mika Eminen $10,000 one pocket is going on at the exact same time. That's November 13th and 14th. And then just announced, Tony Chohan and Scott Frost are matching up to play one pocket November 19th through the 21st. So... For those of you who enjoy those uh, challenge matches online, uh, mid-November looks great. Speaking of challenge matches, the biggest event coming up this weekend is a doubleheader. Uh, Rackham TV is doing it. Omega Billiards is, is also involved in a big way. This is Shane Van Boning, Dennis Orcoyo. One more time, they are playing 10-ball race to 120. There is also what you might consider a undercard event with Team Oklahoma versus Team Texas. Sky Woodward, Jeremy Jones, Roberto Gomez, CJ Wiley, and Ming Ng for Team Texas. Joey Gray, Chip Compton, Shane McMinn, Billy Dyke, and Brittany Maynard for Team Oklahoma. I spoke to Mike Huang over at Omega Billiards and you know, I mentioned that the team event kind of feels like it might be an undercard of sorts, but from what Mike said, it sounds like that team matchup is a lot more than just trying to fill space around this Dennis Shane match. I kind of look at the sports. I look at the basketball and the NBA, NFL, baseball, and what do we, what do people connect? How do people connect to those teams? Well, they find a connection in terms of like, you know, I live in Texas, so I'm going to root for any teams from Texas versus any different states. You know, people in California, they're more likely to root for any team from California when that team plays, you know, a team from New York. So, you know, that's how, for me, that's how it came about in terms of like, you know, try to create a connection between the, the, the average fans of the game or people that like the game and, and, and connect them to the pro players. And that's how the Oklahoma All-Stars and the Texas All-Stars team started. And while that, that team match is certainly important to Mike, the Shane-Dennis match is the important one for just about everybody else. Mike described how that came together. I want to make it into a huge, huge um, event. And, you know, I, I'm a little concerned with, with the, the two All-Star teams might not be able to bring enough exposure to themselves. So I, I was like, well, let's see if we can put together a match, you know, between pretty much the, the greatest 
player to ever live in in America to versus the number one money player in the world right now, and that is Shane and Dennis. And while Shane won going away the last time the two played, uh, Mike described some changes they were making this time to hopefully make things a, a little more level of a playing field. Not that you necessarily have to level the playing field when you've got Dennis shooting on one side, but still, uh, Mike described some changes they made, and uh, hopefully that will, will even things up a little bit. It will be a race to 120. Uh, with, uh, nine ball with a nine ball on the break uh, on on the spot and uh, break from the box three point rule. So you know here's the thing: a lot of people say that Shane can only beat Dennis because of his superior break. So we will find out because by doing this format, that the you know we kind of take away Shane's break. But you know we'll we'll find out how you know I think Shane is so underrated as a you know as a Pool player pocketing balls, but he's you know we you know and unfortunately it is that it is but you know, we'll uh, we will find out this is going to be great. We also had some sad news this week: the passing of Danny Green. Danny was the creator of the Planet Pool Tour out in Washington. I reached out first to Jenny Malloy looking for some information on Danny. She had posted online about him. She recommended that I speak to Vicky Capone, uh, Mike Capone from Capone Custom Q's wife. Um, I spoke to Vicky, and I asked her to tell me a little bit about Danny. Danny, for as long as I can remember, uh, he was a pool player. He started playing pool as a student in uh, community college. There was a, a like a community rec room on the campus in Rockville, Maryland, where he was attending classes and uh, he started getting really good at pool um, and, and started skipping his classes. And eventually pool was um, very much Danny's life uh, as much as um, this community and, and pool in, in this region uh, was influenced by Danny Green. Danny Green's entire life was influenced by pool. Uh, pretty much everything that he did from that moment when he first started playing pool at the community college um, somehow centered around uh, living a life in the, the lifestyle of pool, in the culture of pool. Uh, with his, his friends were pool players. Um, there was really no one uh, or still to this day, no one in the Washington, D.C. region who has been a pool player who wasn't touched by Danny in some way, either through um, Planet Pool, uh, through his work as, as a cue maker and, and a cue repair person, um, the lessons that he gave. Uh, he, he was the, an instructor um, and, and taught many people, myself included, uh, a lot about the game. There are still shots that when I step up to the table to make it, uh, it's Danny's voice that I hear um, telling me what to do, you know, strategies to like for, for shooting a ball off the rail or, or something like that. Uh, Danny played all over the region. He played all over the country. He was a road player for a long time. Um, he liked to keep kind of a low profile if that was even possible, given that, you know, uh, he was such a kind of infamous player. He was a really dynamic player. He, um, 
he played fast and loose. He had, you know, like <laughs> his pre-shot routine was almost non-existent. And, you know, photographers used to joke that it was really difficult to get um, a photograph of Danny playing pool because all the photos were blurry because by the time they could focus the camera on him, he, he was already moving on to the next shot. <laughs> you know, he was fast and loose in really every part of his life. He, he was an idea person. He had a, a million ideas for businesses that he wanted to start, pool rooms that he wanted to open, um, you know, other businesses uh, always somehow related to pool, but there was always something brewing. And uh, Planet Pool ultimately was one of the outcomes of his creativity and his entrepreneur, that's a hard word to say, entrepreneur, entrepreneurial <laughs> um, spirit. Uh, he started Planet Pool and really grew it into one of the major um, regional pool tours uh, that was really long, long lasting. It was years, but Planet Pool existed. The the tournaments were always sold out. Um, he did a lot for the players, a, a lot for, you know, he, he supported a lot of women playing pool and made sure that, um, you know, that there was good prizes, uh, uh, adequate prizes for the, for the women's tour as well as for the men. He arranged actually the time at my husband was um, my husband, Mike Capone was one of the sponsors of Planet Pool. And if memory serves, if you um, were the points winner for the women, then you won a Capone custom queue. Big deal for women's pool back then. I had also read that Danny was very proud of being acknowledged in David McCumber's book, Playing Off the Rail. So I asked Vicky about that. Yes, it was something that came up from time to time, even even recently. Um, but back in the back in the nineties, uh, when when that book was first, uh, or maybe it was the late eighties, I can't even remember now. When that book was first released, he was over the moon. You know, he was really excited about that, and excited not only for himself um, being featured in the book, but you know, his girlfriend was with him on the day that. Um, that they uh that he ran across McCumber and um Tony Anagoni. His girlfriend was there and he was proud to have had her featured and there were several other local players that were mentioned and um he kind of felt like it put him on the map and, and kind of gave him even though he was he didn't always want a lot of acknowledgement, he didn't want a lot of attention as as road players tend not to tend to try to avoid. It was nice I think for him to get that kind of an acknowledgement, his legend as being this, you know, this good road player. Okay, uh, that is pretty much it as far as as bringing people up to speed on the news. Um, again, my my main interview for this week is Jeremy Jones, team captain, Team USA. Jeremy and I talked about Moscone Cup, as you would expect that we would. Uh, then. We went back to an interview that I did with Jeremy years and years and years ago uh, when the Camel Tour was going on, and, and we had talked briefly back then about the idea of a Players Association. And really, I just kind of wanted to come back and touch on that idea in the interview, and we kind of went down that road for a bit longer than I expected that we would. We also touched on his 
budding career in uh, commentary and who he thought might be the next Sid Waddell. And then we cycled back around to Moscone Cup and talked about the decision for the fifth member of Team USA. So with that all in mind, I give you Jeremy Jones. Very proud to be joined by Moscone Cup team captain, Jeremy Jones. Jeremy, uh, are you busy getting ready for Moscone? Uh, yeah, Mike. Um, besides constantly thinking about it, you know, the guys have played a lot more pool the last couple of months. Um, a lot of them are actually preparing for a couple of events coming up, which is really good. They're going to get some good stiff competition before going overseas. So, yeah, you know, Joey and I discussing a lot of things every day. Um, you know, we got a, of course, the format that's been pretty similar the last couple of years. So we're, you know, we heard maybe there's going to be a change in the format mildly. <clears throat> so we're kind of waiting to hear about that news and then, and then think accordingly. So. And how exactly has the, the COVID situation changed the way that you guys prepare? I know, you know, in the past, the, the team came together, they traveled overseas, they played in events, but that's not really possible this year. Yeah, we, you know, we did uh, some one-on-ones. Um, some of the guys fortunate enough to be able to come a couple times um, here to the house. And and then, uh, you know, like last week, I saw Chris and Peoria. We worked a little bit. We talked a lot. Um, you know, of course, it's not like going to Russia and playing the Dream Challenge and and having a few other events to hang out with all year, you know, kind of build that camaraderie. But I think it's a pretty close group. So we got the Texas State Open coming up soon, which is going to, you know, get us all together for about a week or so. Um, So I I like the position we're in. And I talked to Chris the other day. He mentioned the possibility of, of having to quarantine before the event. Well, we, uh, you know, the guys have to live and whatnot and do their things, but uh, we have to test before we go overseas. And so that test is on a certain date to where we feel like uh, give it, give the advice to the guys and recommend that, hey, you know, we want you practicing, we want you training. We want you happy, of course, but also you got to be smart because we can't, can't really afford a negative test. We try to hop on some flights. You played – on Moscone Cup, uh, you and I talked before we started the interview. I believe you said seven times. Um, right. How did the years as a player contrast with the last two years where you were vice captain and then and then this year? Um, uh, very different. Um, I was kind of always a player that, that uh, you know, whenever I was – you know, in the right shape, meaning practicing a lot, training a lot, whatever, getting prepared, being prepared. I was always a player that kind of played by myself when I was in a match, meaning I didn't see cameras too much. Of course, I felt the moment of the Moscone Cup. You can't ignore that. But um, much more stressful, I think, as a, as a co-captain the last two years uh, than a player. Um, and I, I can't really pinpoint why, I guess. Maybe just be, because you're really involved in every shot. Um, you know, you go through a whole year of, of, of some training and some things that, you know, all the players have tendencies, meaning whenever they're nervous or whenever, you know, they make the mistake, it's very similar mistakes. 
so you you know you work on things for a year and then you see a mistake come out but you know just like a match as soon as they make a good shot win a game all that's forgotten so i mean it's just a different feeling i guess overall way more stressful way more anxious as a as a captain on the sidelines and when you were playing who were the captains that you played under um playing captains uh most most of the time, Nick was a captain that wasn't playing one year. I was also under him a couple of the years as a playing captain. Johnny was a playing captain. Um, Earl one time was a playing captain, if I remember correctly. Um, and that's about it. I think Nick may have had four stints uh, as a captain or a playing captain while I was there. Johnny, two, and Earl, one, I believe. What kind of differences do you see – from the last two years with Johan as the captain back to the playing captain days when you were playing? Um, well, you know, back whenever I played, we really didn't do a training sessions and, and travel as a group so much. Um, I think, you know, the, unfortunately to bring it up the, the years that the U S lost. <clears throat> so, you know, some consecutive years kind of puts a different plan in place. Um, you know, directed towards the Moscone Cup, but also trying to build that that degree of, uh, of greatness in pool in America again, especially if, if, at least at the professional level. Um, so, you know, I think that's the way it's going back. But, you know, whenever I played, of course, we talked about it. We trained together while we were there in England for a week before the tournament um, or, or in Vegas, depending um, and, you know, we gave each other advice and stuff, but it was just a little bit different, meaning, you know, you expect those professionals to show up ready. And also, you know, we had a tour, uh, usually, uh, at least something that constructed a tour of a lot of great events that was uh, uh, kind of like training in itself, right? So I would, uh, which I would say is the direction that it's heading back in as far as not only tournaments here, but the guys getting prepared through competing. And, uh, you know, it's more like they, they, they compete and getting themselves in shape. And then like the Moscone Cup is that bonus, right? So when Johan named you uh, vice captain, what do you think he saw, you know, that, that made him choose you? Um, well, there was a, uh, he told me really there was not many others just because of, I think some respect factor with the, the younger guys. Uh, I have a little connection with the younger guys kind of just, I was still playing a lot competing against them. Um, also, you know, knowing the guys also, I think in 2017, he explained to me that he didn't feel a real good connection with uh, some of the players and not knowing their background or knowing them for 20 years or 30 years or whatever you might, you know, however long I've known a lot of them. And I, you know, so I think that just pretty, pretty much supplied a bridge between Johan and the players. And also I'm, I'm sure some knowledge. And, and what kind of conversations have you had with Johan over the last year to prepare for this year? Um, we, we really haven't talked about this year. Uh, at all. Um, really, I, I, to be honest with you, I hadn't spoken with him in, in, in some time. Uh, just kind of 
you know, I guess we both got busy with the pandemic and trying to deal with things. But, uh, you know, the last couple of years, I, I certainly learned some things from Johan. Um, match preparation, he's really, really good. Um, very smart man. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's kind of, like I said, it's, I think it's kind of, you know, before the pandemic, um, it looked like it was going to be a lot of events to be able to see a lot of things about pool. And then, you know, of course, the Moscone was going to go back off of the rankings for a few of the spots. Uh, so I think it's heading back in the direction to where these guys know they can win and, and they're um, going to be prepared a lot more without the captain being so involved. Uh, you know, of course, we'll train, but it's not going to be crazy. Uh, you know, hard to train as a group and to travel as a group, you know, eight weeks out of the year. That's a lot, right? So We actually did an interview, God, well over 20 years ago, um, right about the time the Camel Tour was ending. And you mentioned in that interview the idea that the players could have done more and should do more to come together to organize the future of the game. Um, if we take Matchroom out of the equation, it would be pretty easy to say, you know, the, the game of pro pool is, is in no better place than it was when the Camel Tour collapsed. Looking back over the last 20 years, um, what do you think the players could have done? And, and what do you think the players did right and wrong looking at, at their future? Um, well, you know, I, I kind of always, I say it about myself a lot. I could, you know, we could always do a lot more leg work. Um, and meaning, you know, it's kind of like, kind of like the nature of the beast a little bit. Um, uh, you know, you gotta, the mentality is you gotta look out for yourself a little bit. And that's, you know, that's very true in, in many, many facets. But uh, as far as like the guys, they still don't, you know, as good of friends as they are, they really don't get together and work together as much. Um, meaning, like I said, doing a little legwork that really builds the sport. And, you know, that's not to their fault. I mean, that's like I said, that you got to think to yourself, you know, everybody has individual sponsors that are, and, and fans and different people that are pulling at them. So, you know, along with trying to raise families and whatnot. So, um, you know, you pick out situations and you look at an individual and the last thing you can say about each one of them is probably like, uh, you can't blame them. Meaning like, you know, if this person is going off and working for themselves and not trying to build the game as much, well, they're probably doing it for a good reason because they need to. So, um, that's a hard question though, Mike. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, I, I think, I think the players could use an association still, even though a lot of associations have ended up not being too good. So, they're kind of tarnished a little bit. Um, but I think it's done in a right way. I think players could own some tournaments themselves um, along with working with other promoters. And obviously you get to see this from the inside, um, you know, what is going on at Matchroom and what uh, some of the goals that, that Emily in particular and Matchroom have. Um does it look as promising from the inside 
view that you have as it does from the outside? And, and you know, it's been a long time since we've been able to look at something in Pro Pool and, and consider it promising. But, you know, Matchroom seems to have an awful lot of, uh, of plans when it comes to Pro Pool, especially Pro Pool in America. Yeah, and well, I think they know this is the market, at least on the amateur side. There's huge markets everywhere for it, but on the amateur side, it's it's huge here, um, much bigger than anywhere else in the world, I think, anyways. And, you know, the one thing about uh, Matchroom, they're very smart, obviously, uh, and at the same time trying to be successful for their company, as they should. But I think they see that if the sport grows, you know, they're at the head of it, you know, and they're going to make good decisions. They're probably going to be very successful with it. Um, whereas, you know, again, I can't blame anybody, but there's a lot of promoters um, that I feel like have this little nest egg, you might say, uh, that they're secure with doing every year. And they don't, you know, not saying they don't improve their tournaments or do things, but you can honestly say we play for, sometimes a lot less prize money than we did 20 years ago. Uh, So the mentality is, let me make sure I get that nest egg rather than take a chance at a long-term growing kind of thing. Does that make sense? Um, Well, the game has definitely stagnated. Um, And if you want to compare back to the camel days, it's certainly taken a step back as far as prize funds go and organization. Do you think the 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 path is an outside organization that runs a tour, a, a sort of tour with the possibility of an association of players maybe being advisors? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, that's, that's what I say about an association. I think if done correctly with the um, correct agenda, um, that I think it's very doable to where the players not only work together as a unit, because uh, we are colleagues, even though we have to unfortunately beat each other for our money. But um, I think that not only the players will work together as a unit, but that unit could easily work together with uh, outside sources. Um, and I, th- I think that's really the main way that the game will grow to its fullest. Um, and what I'm getting at is the players could realize that, you know, we should be adding money to our own tournaments. We should be out doing the leg work, uh, the promotion work and stuff like that to where, you know, we go to a certain tournament A and we say, okay, you're adding this much. Well, we want to add this much on top of it. I think that's a very doable system and it works in other sports as well. And there was... I mean, not to not to name individual names, and certainly we've got you know 20 years to to refer back to. But you know, in the past, we've had player organizations, and they really didn't seem focused on what they could bring to the table. Let's say best case scenario. You know, let's let's just say uh, sky's the limit, and you're running a player's association. What can you bring to the table aside from, well, we'll add X number of dollars to your prize fund? Well, I mean, like, like I said, the players working as a unit, legwork. I mean, like, you know, when they have a, 
a pro golf tournament in Chicago, let's say, and it ended Sunday. Well, that following Monday, they start working on that, that next tournament 12 months away in Chicago. Now they don't work every day at it, but you know, you send, uh, you send players out as a unit to promote in those areas. You build a fan base, uh, you know, you do whatever you can. Um, and, as far as, like I said, legwork, you build a charity. You do things to create a fan base because that's what it's going to take. And to be honest with you, Mike, I, I solely believe if the players were as, as a group in a, in a good way, um, I think you would see the amateur support of that go through the roof. Um, I couldn't imagine that if we're talking about really making pool and professional pool as good as it can be. I couldn't imagine uh, the amateur players around the country and really around the world not supporting it. Anyways, that's that that's that. I mean, and there's a lot of other little things that, that go along with it. You know, all the guys know that, hey, we're working together. I think you would see a massive change in the arena as far as the sportsmanship. And I'm not saying it's bad, but I think you would see it grow even better, you know. On uh, on the ladies' side of professional pool, there's the WPBA, and and part of the reason the WPBA succeeded was that all of the players were able to set aside their own agendas for the most part, and and create the tour. Now, whether that tour is su- as successful as it was at one time is not the question. But do you think the top males? are able to put aside their own personal interests for a, an association that could help the game of pro pool? Um, yeah, I mean, and, and to further on that, I mean, you wouldn't ask them to do, um, to set us, I mean, you got to think of yourself, of course, but it would be, in my opinion, a win-win situation. Um, you know, of course, you know, you ask, Again, player number A that's sponsored by, uh, you know, company, uh, they would, whatever they're doing, their company name is going to be right on their shirt. So, I mean, it's like a sponsors would love, personal sponsors would love it. All it would be is just being able to promote the players and promote, you know, whatever tour or tournaments that uh, need to be promoted. Um, I don't feel like, you know, how could they not, right? Because the, well, all we're trying to do is build the purses and, and have more tournaments. So if that's happening, I would think the support from the players would be excellent, actually. So I think it would just only benefit them as, in a short-term answer. It would just benefit them in the long term, no problem. I mean, no questions asked. It's just basically adding to, you know, their name. And, and, and I want to change gears for a second uh, back to you personally. Now you have you have a huge okay. resume in the game. Uh, U.S. Open nine ball champion, U.S. Open one pocket champion, uh, runner up at the World Nine Ball, and now you have you know seven time player, uh, captain of Team USA. You've become one of the top uh, commentators in the game. Um, how did that come along? I mean, wh- what got that started and, and what do you think it is that makes you as sought after as a commentator as you are? Uh, well, I mean, I, not, first off, the information is pretty, pretty good. It kind of know all games pretty well. Uh, that helps. So, you know, there's a, uh, 
a lot of uh, material that I've done. So people feel pretty well, you know, pretty good about hiring me. Um, but it kind of started, I believe, really, if I remember correctly, I started doing it at the World Nine Ball Championships. And then uh, with Sid Waddell, oh, I don't know sure. if you remember Sid or not. He was a, he was a, yeah, he was great, a great commentator. And, and so I started doing it with Sid, which, which Sid made it easy. He was always a lot of fun. Um, so I had a little success doing it there. And then I started just to do it, you know, for a few companies, uh, Pull Action TV, uh, AccuStats. And it just kind of went from there. And, and it's weird because I kind of grew up, you know, when we grew up, Mike, uh, I didn't have cable TV <laughs> till later in life. But, you know, there was like Monday night football. There was, of course, a few games on Sunday, um, commentators for the World Series and whatnot. But the commentators, in my mind, were kind of part of the show. Um, whereas when I watch a lot of games these days, or when I did last year, year before, um, I didn't know half the commentators, uh, you know, when they were telling me what was going on with the football game. But so I grew up watching Howard Cosell a lot and stuff like that. So I always kind of liked the commentators, to be honest with you. Frank Gifford, I believe, was one of them. Do you see another Sid Waddell in the game right now? You know, what he brought to commentary? Well, he was pretty unique, that's for sure. Um, and a lot of experience. I mean, of course, he just didn't do pool. Phil Yates is pretty awesome. Um, he's definitely different than Sid. You can't really replace Sid, but Phil is very, very good. A lot of fun, very knowledgeable. Always says the right thing at the right time, seems like. Uh, so I, everybody I've worked with, I would say Phil, Phil Yates is as close as you can get. And, and, and to come back around to Team USA, um, you recently announced your five players. And, and the first four picks, I mean, those were pretty automatic. Um, you were successful the last two years with Tyler. Why wasn't Tyler automatic? Uh, well, I mean, I think it'd be silly to look at anybody as automatic. Of course, there were three names in my mind. Uh, that made the team that, you know, you could be as close to automatic as you get, I guess. And, uh, but, you know, looking back, like I said, before the pandemic started, I really expected, and it looked like with the tournament selection and, and the players that were out, young players that were out playing, um, and some veterans, um, that there were going to be maybe six, seven guys to look at for those final two spots. Um, and in a fair way, that's the right way uh, a captain should look at it. Like, it's a numbers game. And and nothing uh, to take away from Tyler. We did win the last two years with Tyler on the team. But just like we won the year before with Corey on the team, after not winning in how long? Eight or right. nine years? We changed the team uh, the very next year. Um, because it's basically this. You know, you work with them. You look at them. And then you got to go make a tough decision usually. And it was a very tough decision this year, but you just got to go with what we feel like is going to earn us the most points. Um, now I looked at a lot of tapes from the last two years of the Moscone cup, um, evaluated some things and, 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 you know, a gut decision just led me back to Chris. It's, you know, and, and, and that's just, it is what it is. I like our chances. 
I'll, that's the best uh, best pick I like our chances with. And what is it that you see in Chris that you think makes a, a good Moscone Cup competitor? Well, he, you know, he keeps it simple. Um, constantly trying to learn. Uh, he's very humble. Um, I think he'll connect and take direction not only uh, outside the arena, the Moscone Cup arena, but also inside the Moscone Cup arena. Um, he's a guy that was trending really well in the right direction, uh, trained really well the last couple of years and got better and better. And honestly, you know, he was ranked second out of the Americans after three events with the points before COVID hit. So, I mean, I don't think you can do that accidentally. So there, there was a number of factors, really. But it was a very, very difficult decision. I think, quite frankly, if after watching some matches, if Tyler would have performed a little better last year, um, it would have been hard not to pick him. Um, but just like I said, evaluating everything, it just led me towards Chris, and, uh, and that's what we went with. Okay, so where do you go from here, uh, schedule-wise and, and traveling-wise? You've got uh, Texas at the end of the at the end of the month, and then what do you have after that to get ready for the Cup? Um, I have. Uh, we're we're all going to be in OKC for an event, um, the 23rd through the 25th, and I want to say all of us, most of us, and then we'll commute down to Austin. Uh, for the Texas State Open. Um, then after that, you know, we're going to ask the guys, of course, be training and, and playing a lot, but uh, try and be smart about it as far as because we do need to test before we fly over on the 22nd. So uh, we need some, you know, all negative tests in that regard. So basically the guys, you know, stay with the family, hit balls, um, do your thing and, and get mentally prepared for, for London. All right. Sounds good. I think we're all looking forward to seeing how the event goes. And of course, we're 95% of my listeners are pulling for Team USA. Um, but I, I won't keep you any longer. I appreciate you taking some time for us today. And I wish you all the luck in the world uh, in London. Thanks, Mike. And uh, thanks for the interview. Hopefully those were sufficient answers. Uh, Tough questions sometimes, but that's how it goes, right? No problem. I think they were great. Okay. All right. Have a good day, Mike. All right. Thanks, Jeremy. All right. That was Jeremy. Um, I appreciate everybody sticking around to the end of the, the show. You know, again, I, I tried something new. We'll see how it goes. Uh, it may crash and burn. It, it may you know, break and run 10. Who knows? Uh, so we'll see what happens. I want to send out a thanks this week to... Roy over at Roy's Basement, Mike Wang over at Omega Billiards, uh, Vicky Capone, and a special thanks to Jeremy Jones for the interview that he did. That is the show for this week. Again, I appreciate everybody listening, and Dave, we are always thinking about you.